You're listening to the Loose Stokes podcast. Real and inspiring conversations with individuals from all over the world, sharing their insights in sustainability, fashion, conscious consumerism, and empowerment. Be inspired to take action and be the change you want to see in the world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Loose Stokes podcast. I'm very excited and honored to have Victoria Jenkins on today with me. Victoria is a designer and a disability advocate. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and some of your background? It's always like a two-parted story because I have to give context. Uh, So I... I studied fashion design, uh, graduated a horribly long time ago in 2008 into a recession. So that was fun. Um, And then I kind of I worked initially as a pattern cutter and then became a clothing technician. I mean, it's not called a garment technologist in the industry, but it's like a clothing engineer, how things fit, how they're made, where fastens go. And I did that for suppliers to high street and then eventually worked with brands. And in the background behind all of that in 2012, I had an undiagnosed ulcer that burst um, and I had some life-saving surgery. And then that led to lots of things being diagnosed, lots more surgeries. And it was whilst in hospital that I had the idea for Unhidden, um, which is a socially responsible adaptive fashion brand, um, thanks to a conversation with a patient basically. And it kind of changed the course of my career and my life. Right, so tell us a bit more about Unhidden because I I mean, I've been following you for a bit and I'm, I'm fascinated and really inspired by what you're doing and to be honest like when you start to scratch the surface there isn't really anything like what you're doing um so yeah tell us a bit more about unhidden before i waffle on it's my baby (laughs) um so unhidden i had the idea for in 2016 uh, but we've been training since 2020 i had the first ever photo shoot um in that small window of time we were allowed to mix in september 2020 So adaptive design is for specifically for people with disabilities. So it might be trousers that are made for a seated position for wheelchair users or Mm. all of the shirts in my range have openings so that if you're going through chemo or radiotherapy or you have diabetes or a permanent medical line, you can access your arm without taking your clothes off. Um, And then there's, you know, just other accesses for people who have stomas, people who have permanent catheters or feeding tubes, just to give them a bit of style and dignity back because you know historically anything that has been adaptive has kind of been designed from like a nurse's or a doctor's point of view not from the patient's point of view um and while you know unhidden is not the first adaptive brand um but we have done quite well in the last two years with with awareness raising and campaigning for more brands to do inclusive design um but yeah it's in the in the uk we're quite far behind in the states there's hundreds of designers and the same in australia and new zealand so We've got a lot of catching up to do, but there's a group of us that are super passionate about doing this and making other brands do it too. Yeah, no, it's incredible. And I think it, it's so important that, like you said, looking at it from the patient's point of view, like, and actually, you know, being able to feel like you can wear nice clothes and stylish clothes, because like clothes are yeah. fun and everyone should be able to have access to them. Yes. Um, and so, I, and I think, well, I guess you get a lot of great feedback from people that, you know, have certain disabilities and we do. what yes. are the general, I mean, what's the general feedback that you tend to get from them? 
Um, well, I mean, some of it has been sort of more from the representation side. It's just, you know, they finally feel like they're seen and understood mm-hmm. and that, you know, they, yeah. they wish they'd had it, you know, sooner. Um, and from a, like the fit in the clothing perspective, it, very much the same, you know, just that suddenly everything got easier, you know, rather than sort of getting dressed, being a fight and a struggle. It was something they could look forward to again. And I think it just, you know, it blows my mind. There's, you know, one in four now, I think, in, is um, the stat it's been updated. It used to be one in five in the UK and one in four in America. And now it's one in four in the UK too is disabled. So that's a lot of us, like 20% of the global population or higher. Yeah. And, you know, like my, like myself, 80% of us aren't born with our disability. We acquire them. And then, you know, that's in some cases overnight, people can't wear their entire wardrobe. And we're very much sort of trapped into this, you know, this idea that we only wear casual wear and leisure wear and that's because that's been the only thing that we could wear you know it's because we didn't have the choice to wear things that we wanted to and it's been a barrier for people going for job interviews you know if you can't dress for a job interview you know you're not going to get hired and and that patient that I met um on the ward she said you know just at home at going out for parties going to work she was just constantly in a uniform of t-shirts and jogging bottoms that she really she just didn't feel like herself and I think when we're already feeling you know, maybe a bit low mentally because of our disabilities mm. and our conditions. And the last thing you want to also feel is that your identity has been taken away. Yeah, and in, in like facing obstacles that you don't, you shouldn't have to face. Hmm. You know, well, I mean, should, yeah. legally we can't leave the house naked, so it's you know <laughs> we have to put we have to put clothes on. But you know, I think people, I don't think people always are sort of grasp. But what if you, you know, even just putting underwear on? What if you can't yeah. do that? You know, and then getting dressed into other things, getting shoes, you know, there's, it touches every single part of our lives. And it's, I, yeah, I think it's sort of a bit unforgivable that it hasn't been as mainstream as it needs to be up until this point. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like you said, if the stats have really changed as well, like why aren't people addressing these, um, these things? I, I've, yeah, I feel like um, the fashion industry is really slow. Uh, adopting the like diversity and inclusion which is kind of interesting because it's like hang on a minute fashion in itself is and it's creative and expressive and it's it's meant to be diverse yes yeah exactly it's you know there's such a great vehicle for change sometimes but it still seems to be the last taboo you know I think brands are afraid of it I think designers when when it's explained to them I think sometimes they actually get quite excited about it, but there's still that fear of what if I get it wrong or I don't know what I'm doing. So they just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. They keep quiet and they just look the other way. Do you have, as I said to someone quite high up yesterday in fashion, um, I was like, the silence is deafening at this point. You can't, you can't be scared anymore. You've got to start trying to be inclusive because we haven't, you're late. Like you haven't got the time. You haven't got the luxury of, putting it on your plan for next year or the year after or 10 years down the road you need to start now yeah and how do you feel like people respond to that um I think they're still I'm very bullshit when I say things like that and I'm always like well where did I get the audacity um I think they do you know I think they can see it I think there's still there's a lot of education that needs to go into it um you know the more you think about it it's not it isn't just about designing with inclusion in mind and adaptive fashion it's who are you hiring? Who's in your head office? Is your head office accessible? Um, you know, do the disabled and chronic sick community, do they feel welcome to apply for fashion yeah. jobs? 
probably not. So can they even study it? Can they get into the universities that teach fashion design? Again, probably not. A lot of them are very old buildings. So, you know, you kind of need to literally change architecture (laughs) as well as attitudes um, before we're going to have any kind of shot at equity. Yeah, absolutely. It's like then the the there needs to be a mindset shift all on every level, and yeah. people need to be able to have the access to actually go and study, for example, fashion design. No matter what, they need to be able yeah. to have that opportunity and not feel like, or even if there is that opportunity offered, they need to feel like that they can they're accepted and included and feel comfortable within the environment. Um, yes. It's all well and good putting that you do something, but if you're not really um, living it and breathing it, yeah, then it's not nothing's gonna ha- nothing changes. Exactly, exactly, and like you know, I think there's there's so many opportunities for like learning when you make things more accessible, everyone benefits. You know, it's only a good thing. It doesn't take anything away from anybody else to do it. Um, yeah, you know, historically we're all kind of made to feel like it's you know it's extra to have a disabled person you know it's either more money or it's too hard or we just don't want to do it and then you know yeah. then it's kind of the onus is put on the disabled person to advocate for themselves uh and we're all pretty exhausted <laughs> from, yeah, from cool. doing that you know so we need yeah. we need that you know the non-disabled community to really get on board with us now yeah absolutely um what challenges do you like have you faced with unhidden Ooh so many <laughs> I mean when I you know when I had the idea in 2016 it was and also because I wanted it to be sustainable and sustainability wasn't yeah. really a buzzword then either um, so it's been sort of getting people to understand the size of the market the scale of the problem and it's not a problem you know it's, it's, a, it's a creative solution it's something that we can absolutely fix um, so it's been difficult to change the attitude you know there's been a lot of people I, when I first started talking about it they were like I don't think it's really needed or if they needed it, they'd already have it was a comment on a newspaper um, article once. <laughs> and uh, we quite often use the stat, um, you know, there are more people making clothes for dogs than for people who are disabled, um, which is still a true stat. And someone came back with, well, you know, there's more dogs. I was like, no, actually there, there are 13 million dogs. There's 16 million disabled people, but also disabled people can't grow their own clothes literally yeah. on their body. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's been, yeah, it's been quite difficult to face a lot of attitude that it's not needed. Um, yeah, and then, absolutely. you know, being a disabled entrepreneur is also comes with its unique challenges. Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way now. I was saying to a friend last night, actually, um, I've ruined myself for working for other people because I've been my own boss <laughs> for so long now that I couldn't imagine going and working, you know, nine to five for someone else. I still do consulting, but I just couldn't imagine doing it now. Um, so it's been managing my health alongside, you know, a startup and sort of really fighting that hustle culture because you feel like you need to be showing up every day. You know, when there's when there's an article about adaptive fashion, you feel like you must comment on it and share it and tag all the other people that you know in the space. And it's because the conversation is getting louder now, it's impossible actually to keep up with all the momentum, which is great. Um, but it's, yeah, now I've kind of, after three years solidly working on Unhidden and sort of solo, I now finally have a very small team and like I start mm-hmm. handing over tasks. <laughs> yeah. I struggle with the delegation. I am terrible at that because um, it's just been mine for so long, you know. 
but it's hard, um, isn't yeah, it? that's, that's yeah it's really hard it's really yeah. hard and then I mean you kind of quickly discover everyone's making it up as they go along when it comes to <laughs> entrepreneurship and small business it. there's not yeah yeah, and yeah. something I kind of I've lost the I used to be really scared of sharing anything in case well not in case anyone stole it but in case it wasn't good enough you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like you know what you can you can you can change your branding if you need to I mean I'm quite committed to mine now so it's okay but it's had a few iterations that all just got archived you know um, yeah so yeah it's it's going from full pelt to now trying to scale back and because I can't it's not sustainable to work at the pace that I have. Right, um, but yeah. equally now, things are getting really exciting. So it's really hard to say, okay, I'm going to step back a little bit. <laughs> I can't really do that, yeah. you know. Um, and yeah, I think actually that yeah, one of the main struggles, and it's you know, it's not unique to Unhidden, it's to uh, any well any startup really, but specifically disabled entrepreneurs, especially female led, has been getting investment. That has taken a really long time. Um, and as some people may have seen, my Dragon's Den pitch. Um, they didn't go for it, but thankfully people who saw it have. So it was, you know, Amazing. yeah, it was really, that was a good experience, but it's been very difficult to relentlessly pitch this for, you know, for so, for months really, and like sort of get nowhere. Um, and then, you know, something just clicks. And once one person goes, it's like a load of them turn up, you know, so it's, but it is difficult, like the financial side of it, I'm trying to work and earn money as well as run and hidden is, um, it's been a struggle, but. It's challenging, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, like you said, it's like, obviously, if when you, you've got your own business and you're an entrepreneur, solo entrepreneur, you know, solopreneur, it's really hard, like, because you do everything, like, you're a jack of all trades, aren't you? You're just, like, yeah. doing Yeah, I everything. mean, I think it's good, because then you kind mm. of have an understanding and an appreciation when you hand it over, you know what that person's got to do, you know, like, doing the packing and wrapping and pitching and tidying up the office you know you have you have to do everything you have to pitch yeah. in and then you kind of just get to say oh thank goodness now that's your headache not mine especially the social media because you know yes. I've been trying to run you know like two like my Instagram channel and Unhidden's so there's two Instagrams there's two Twitter accounts there's LinkedIn there's TikTok mm. there's Facebook yeah. and you're just like you're kind of like you can't it's not possible to run 10 social media accounts at the same time and expect them to get anywhere so very no, glad now that I have social media help. It is like just creating the things is a full time job. Sharing it is a full time job, and then that's you know I'd, I'd probably spend the least time doing the one thing I really want to do with Unhidden, which is designing. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I think that happens to us all. We end up like entrepreneurs coming like a social media. Expert. <laughs> yeah. I, think like, I, don't, I don't remember signing up to have to do all this, and with TikTok in particular, I was like, I've got to do reels. I've got to lip sync to things. I have to learn dances now. This doesn't feel relevant. Um, so I have, I've not really done very much because I'm terrible at that. Um, but yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Especially when you have no money, social media becomes the free tool to get yeah. that traffic and that advertising. So it's, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure of like, you have to do it like consistently and like you should be posting every day and then you've got to do stories and then, and it becomes like this added pressure that's just, yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, social media is amazing, but sometimes yes. it can just become this massive headache. And I think it's about finding a balance for each person. Like you said, now you're able to give it to someone else to help you. Um, it does take a lot of the pressure off. Yeah, so it's quite funny though. Like I keep seeing 
stories. I'm like, I didn't post that. I'm like, oh, that's because she is. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's why that's there. Um, so it's quite, it's nice to sort of, yeah, to see it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a beast, social media. But it's also, you know, it's where I've really found community and it's where I know a lot of the disabled chronic sick community, you know, without that, we wouldn't have people to talk to necessarily. And lockdown, I think, was the experience everybody else got to have. Like, that's how we normally communicate is online anyway and we've been doing it for years so it was kind of nice almost to have all these other people come in and then you find you know obviously this lockdown sort of ended not that the pandemic has ended despite <laughs> what people might think yeah um, you know and then it's kind of a lot of the the community has kind of suddenly gone offline again everyone's you know so joyful about meeting up in person which obviously is important but it's kind yeah, of you know of we need that reminder to non-disabled people to like don't forget us um yeah. you know so like events still need to be a hybrid I, but i think quite a lot of people are keeping things hybrid and remote working i think you know there's some good that came out of it after a lot of bad yeah absolutely i agree like now a lot of um people have shifted in the way they do things and what they thought couldn't work before they were forced to make it work and yeah. well, that's the thing like that was one of the one of the reasonable requests that I used to ask for at various brands was the ability to work from home. And they were like, no, can't do it. And then suddenly the whole world had to do it. And you're like, well, it turns out it was possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, again, it's just their mindset. We've always done it this way. It doesn't work if you're not here. And it's like, well, why doesn't it? Like, have you tried? But it's just that fixed mindset of like, no. <laughs> yeah. 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 But how do you manage your, like, you know, your, apart from obviously your physical health, but your mental health with like your business? Is there, um, do you do? Well, I wouldn't say that I do manage it very well. Um, I think, you know, I do, I do try and remember to sort of meditate. I do a lot. I read a lot. So that's for me switching oh, nice. off and having a bath. Mm. Um, at the beginning of this year, because, you know, in the run up to fashion week, it wasn't possible to have the breaks that I needed. So I kind of, brought back in sort of ring fence my Wednesdays again so that they're my rest days so that's kind yeah. of you know, physically and mentally on a Wednesday I kind of say to everyone I'm off off all comms don't contact me we don't do anything we don't talk about work invariably I break that rule myself but I do try and at least stay at home on Wednesdays um, and because this week I had to come in for a meeting we um I therefore left a bit early yesterday I'm gonna leave finish early today although I actually have a 7 p.m call so it's with the yeah, state so, kind of so yeah but I'll, um, I'll, I'll be doing it from home so yeah I, and I've actually now that I've got an office space as well that has been a huge change you know there is a separation whereas before yeah. I would just be working because I was sat there so I'd just keep going um and I think like the first night when I came home from the office and everything was here I sat on the sofa and was like well, what do I do with myself now <laughs> right. I, was like, I was like I don't know what to do if you don't let me do, if I don't let myself do work um, so it's been quite, yeah, it's been a bit of a change after, you know, being in, operating at my basement flat for, well, even before and hidden, like I was freelance. So, you know, I quite often was working from home even for, yeah. you know, well before COVID. Um, but yeah, having, a, having my own space to come to has been quite good mentally to have that separation because otherwise, as we've all found out, we all overworked ourselves during lockdown because <laughs> we had nothing else to do. So we did nothing yeah. but work really. Yeah. Oh god, and then I, and everyone came out of COVID to burn out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately what I've done. Um, but it was, 
also I had more energy because I wasn't physically being made to, you know, commute anywhere or go anywhere. Yeah. I had, you know, I had more energy. You know, the commute was from bedroom to living room. It was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then it was also, you know, you end up working on weekends. You're like, oh, I'll just, I'll just get ahead of the week. And you're like, you're not getting ahead of the week. You're just working more days of the week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. It's not, it's not you're getting ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But um, just to chat back, you mentioned about London Fashion Week. Mm. Tell us a bit about that, because I, I believe that you are the first adaptive fashion brand to um, be, be a member of the... Yeah, so to be a member... Well, yes and no. So it's the first adaptive fashion brand to join the British Fashion Council and the first adaptive brand to have a solo runway show, I think globally, but I don't want to be held to that because they have done some in the States, but they did them as a collective. So I just wanted once for it to just be unhidden not shared with anyone else. Uh, but London Represents do host shows um, in Fashion Week. And there have been different, you know, there's, I think it's the real catwalk. Um, they do that, I think, off schedule. So there are a few. Um, but yeah, it was it was a very powerful moment. 29 models um, across, you know, age, ethnicity, size, sexuality, gender, ability. It was, yeah, an incredible moment. I still cry when I watch the show back. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. It must be like such a a powerful moment, like to see how far you've come and being able to represent. Yeah. I mean, um, it was always, you know, unhidden. I'm, thankfully now I can start to separate myself from it a bit because I don't want to be the mouthpiece. It's meant to be about the community and the people. Yeah. Um, like I really fought uh, for the end of the show. I'd like everyone said, why don't you do a walk down the catwalk? I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> uh, but I had to come out, you know, and thank, you know, our amazing partners. So I just sort of did a thank you to the partners. And then I ran away. <laughs> I kept it very brief. Um, but yeah, it was, I still, you know, it's still now sort of hearing, you know, the models, we've got a, a WhatsApp group, well, not a WhatsApp group, an Instagram group and hearing, like their excitement in the run-up but also how they felt since and what they've all gone on to sort of do and some of them have had amazing press coverage themselves in their hometowns because not everyone was from London um, right so yeah it's been it's been lovely and some of the messages that you know we get over social media or even over email you know there's some of them are heartbreaking because they're like my mum would have really loved this um she would you know she had cancer and she couldn't dress how she wanted to and it was really sad and I'm like I'm sorry yeah. it wasn't there for your mum you know yeah um, yeah but, you know, but yeah, people have been incredible. And I think the impact of that sort of continues on. It's just now I want to do it again, but uh, they are very expensive to put on. So whether I do another one this year remains to be seen. But we are showing um, on the June schedule as part of Models of Diversity are doing a runway show with, you know, a, a load of brands. So I'll be one of the brands that takes part. Amazing. Amazing. And like, were people open to modeling for you? They were happy. Yes, like, people, you know, yeah. it was. So I think only two or three of them had actually sort of gone down a runway before. Uh, the rest were either people that I've been trying to sort of cultivate friendships with over the years. Some of them were just fellow disabled entrepreneurs. And I was like, do you want to have a crack at this? Um, and yeah, <laughs> no it. one said no. It was lovely. And then since then, like, now we get daily requests you know can I be part of your next campaign can I be on your next runway um so I'm kind of like I'm not an agency so I keep saying well yes but you can go and sign up to this agency or you know, <laughs> yeah. email this person and we'll put you on a list and like we're literally sort of slowly building you know a big spreadsheet of just people that want to do it because I don't I really you know there's some models I've worked with a lot and I absolutely adore them 
but I do want to work with, you know, I don't want to use the same faces every single time because then, you know, then, then I'm not being inclusive either. Um, but it's yeah. really hard. But some of them are so awesome. You're like, oh, let's just do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. And how do you feel, Victoria, that, you know, do you feel like the fashion industry is slowly becoming more diverse and inclusive? Like, how, how are you feeling right now about? I don't know. I, I'd say like yes and no. I think those of us that are operating in the space, we're making it more inclusive. But I think people that haven't are not converting. So there's still you know, yeah. a really long, long way to go. I think, you know, there's still brands that sort of get celebrated if they use one disabled model in a in a campaign or on a runway i'm like that's one person yeah, yeah. and they do it yeah. one season they don't do it the next they don't continue to build on it and have them every single time um which is something that i really really want to see happen i actually really want there to be a mandate that any brand showing in fashion week one in five models has to have a disability visible or otherwise because if we don't mandate it i just don't have any faith that they're going to do it yeah absolutely yeah yeah, and also like with workforces, you know, within the industry, um, like I'm not sure of stats, but I wonder how well represented um, disabled people are mm. within. Well, it's, like, yeah, it's interesting you say that. The stats and the data is very hard to get data because that actually that relies on people feeling safe enough to disclose that they are disabled. So there's probably heaps of us working in jobs and. And their bosses don't know and wouldn't say, you know, wouldn't say anything. So they don't know and they don't feel safe to say that they are in case they lose their job, don't get that promotion or get treated differently. So the re- trying to collect the data is a problem in itself. Mm. But, you know, I mean, definitely, we're, I mean, there's no denying we're less likely to be employed. I think it's something like, I don't know, 50% less likely. Don't quote me on that. We were definitely, you know, the, the disability employment gap is massive. Yeah, have you experienced um, <clears throat> with any brands when, you know, before you were with Unhidden that they were like? Yeah, a few, a few. Um, I mean, some of them were absolutely amazing. I will do a shout out to Jack Wills. They were incredible. They did, you know, like I had an occupational therapist. They gave their recommendations and then they followed those recommendations. So they were really, really amazing. Um, mm. And then some were, you know, less amazing. It depended. It, sometimes it was the people, not the job itself, that was the problem. And right. sometimes it was the hours of the job that was a problem or even just the commute. In fairness, Jack Wills, the commute, that was my longest commute. So they would let me stay. They'd let me go in later so that I didn't have to stand up. I'd definitely have a seat and sort of finish early. But I would make up those hours, you know, where I could. Um, and if I couldn't go in and they let me have a VPN link so I could still work from home. Um, yeah. So, you know, they were good. They were yeah, there, there have been places that were bad. and. Not because, you know, I was behind on work or anything was delayed. They just physically needed and wanted someone to be physically in the office five days a week. Yeah, yeah. For no no reason. I was like, but, you know, am I behind on the work? No. Am I behind on any deadlines? No. In fact, I've gone above and beyond to prove that, you know, any time off that I have isn't a problem. Um, Yeah. I think there's a few people asked me to delay or move surgeries and things like it's it's been a very mixed bag. but I think, you know, in their, in some of their defence, I was so determined when I first became ill that I was going to get back to normal, whatever that meant for me. So right. I was really fighting, you know, this sort of this label and the idea that I was sick. So I you know, invariably ended up making myself sick anyway. I think 
before I went freelance, almost every single year, I would medically burn out and end up being in hospital for 10 days, just fully exhausted. Mm. I think the last right. time it happened, I actually took my laptop to the hospital and the nurses were like, is that the thing you need to be doing? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm just panic if I don't do it. You know, you get really anxious, um, you know, in the slightest, any meeting, like with anyone, when they're like, can we have a chat? I'd be like, right, this is it. They're going to get rid of me now. You know, and because that had happened. So it was, it was very anxious, like having a, having a day off or asking for time off. And yeah, not all of them were great about it. Some of them were, some of them weren't. But I think, you know, that's yeah. true. Yeah, it's some of them were proper, the devil wears Prada. And some of them were really, really lovely. Yeah, like you said, I, I guess as well, it's going to depend a lot on the people. Um, and like who's the manager or, you know, of a team, a certain team or whatever. It's going to depend a lot. But I feel like there's such a lack of, of of understanding um, mm. what diversity and inclusion actually means. It's not just yeah. having one person out of five in your workplace yeah. um, with a disability or, you know, whatever. It it's actually means a lot more than that. And I think they a lot of brands, they just put it on their website, but they don't actually... Yeah. Well, they'll actually... put it on their website, but they won't have, like, alt text, so people with screen readers can't see any of the images, or they won't put captions on their videos, so people who are deaf or hard of hearing can't can't follow the conversation. So, you know, it's I think people kind of forget digitally there is a way of excluding people, and then there's also physically excluding people. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, a diff it's difficult, and I, I appreciate that brands feel like, but it's, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. You know, if I'm yeah. a startup of one, essentially, until, you know, until very recently, if I can put on a, you know, a show with 29 disabled models across across the board and make it accessible and make it inclusive on a very limited budget, then, you know, there's not actually that excuse that it costs more money or that it's difficult to do. It's easy. You know, yeah, it's absolutely. a bit of extra time and you've got to want to do it. But once you build that in, then it's just part of your process. Exactly. It's like anything. You know, anything that you want to add into your business, you have to create some kind of system for it and you have to actually, like, okay, the first time you're going to do it, yeah, you have to put more work in, but then once you've done it once, it's just like rinse and repeat, you know, it's not... Yeah, exactly. It doesn't and I have think, you know, even if you make a mistake, just, you know, say sorry, right. learn from it yeah. and, and move on because, no, you know, nobody's perfect. And exactly. I'm sure, you know, I have made and will continue to make mistakes and I just try and learn from them, you know, <laughs> turn it yeah. into a lesson. But, you know, I, I think we need to sort of give, everyone needs to give each other a little bit of grace. But I think people have to also start, I think, you know, because disability touches all the intersections. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's the only one that anyone can join at any time as a protected characteristic. So, you know, we're kind of non-disabled people. We kind of in the community were starting to say are pre-disabled because eventually they will in some way become disabled is very likely that they will even just by being elderly you know not being able to get yeah. around as much you know if you're lucky enough to live to an older age so it's in everyone's interest to do this yeah absolutely absolutely and how do you envision fashion like of the future well I mean there's optimistic me and then there's cynical me I don't know that I'll <laughs> see it you know in my lifetime I would like it to be you know in the same way that we have tall and petite ranges and curve and maternity wear that we have inclusive ranges but i think you know there is still obviously there's space for you know rather than having one rail in, as part of one shop 
it being also a whole shop where that's everything in there is like that. So that's mm. kind of my long-term dream is to have my own bricks and mortar store really. Um, but I think what I want to see in the industry is I think models and representation and hiring practices needs to be better. I'd love to see disability normalized, you know, to the point we're not having press coverage because we've done something we should have been doing the whole time anyway, much like with, you know, racism and everything else. Like we should be getting pats on the back for doing, doing what we should have always been doing. Um, and then seeing high street brands, seeing the high street change, you know, how we, how we welcome consumers and make them feel included in our campaigns and in our spaces so that it's normalized. That is the, my long-term goal is to normalize inclusion because it like disability is mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. And also like, what is normal? Right. I mean, yeah, there's, there's no normal. Um, I, I'm not sure what that's meant to look or sound or feel like, I don't know. <laughs> like we're all, right. You know, we're all these old beings wandering around the earth. I just think we, you know, support each other a bit more. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And just like I think about this, I think where is like kindness and like love, like love, just yeah. You know, it's yeah. like and not looking at other people because they might be slightly different from you, in whatever way. Mm. Um. You know, whether that's the, their gender, their sexuality, um, if they have a disability or not, or, or the colour of their skin. Like, why are we so judgmental and stuck in old mindsets when we're all yeah. just, like you said, odd human beings trying <laughs> to live this human experience? And yeah. it's like... Yeah, I mean, it's like, what I find really interesting, you know, like, the, and I hope it's changing now with, you know, sort of you can't just hurl online abuse anymore, which is great. Or they're trying mm. to count down it. But I just, I don't, I suppose I don't quite understand the mindset where you would sit and on purpose write something horrible to someone, especially someone maybe that you've never met. Um, you know, and they're, they're still a human, no matter what they do. Well, I, I say this, actually, there's a fair few people that I'm not sure they are human. But, <laughs> you know, to, to, yeah, to take time out of your day to say something horrible to someone else like what does that really serve who does that help and you know if it was turned back onto you you'd feel horrible and awful if someone did it mm -hmm. so i just that whole you know treat others as you want to be treated i think is really important but yeah it blows my mind sometimes how nasty people can be when really you know when i saw i think i can't remember who the quote is from it's very very old but, you know, we don't we don't come into this world hating other people because of what they look like, sound like, feel like Absolutely. any of that. You yeah. know, we, we are taught it. We teach ourselves to be judgmental and to be horrible to other people. And I think, you know, there needs to be a shift to stop instilling this into children. Yeah, absolutely. There definitely needs to be a shift. Hmm, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Victoria, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a beautiful conversation. Um, I'd love for you to share where people can find you and Unhidden. So um, it's unhiddenclothing.com, although we are switching soon to just unhidden.com. Finally bought the domain rights off somebody else. And unhidden.uk on Instagram. I think it's unhiddenofficial on TikTok. We are trying to make sure that all of our social handles are the same. It's really difficult to do. Right. Um, yeah. un unhidden fashion on Twitter. Um, but yeah, Instagram's probably where the most things happen. So unhidden.uk on Instagram. And keep, keep your eyes peeled in a certain large fashion magazine next month. 
and uh, keep an eye on on screens as well. Well, I look forward to these wonderful new projects that you're doing. Um, And thank you once again for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Yeah, it's incredible what you're doing. You're extremely inspiring and very, yeah, just like brave as well as like an entrepreneur, solo entrepreneur and how far you've come. Like, you know, I haven't been following you for that long, but I'm just in awe at, you know, your determination. So congratulations. (laughs) You have, and that's amazing. (laughs) And it's inspiring for every single person. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Ciao, ciao. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please subscribe to the Lou Stokes podcast. Rate and review in the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in from. I'd be so grateful. Also, check out the show notes to learn more about my guests and learn more about me on my website, www.loustokes.com. Until next time, be inspired. Take action and be the change you want to see in the world.